We're talking essentially about Romans in these last weeks, and we'll be in Romans, this great epistle. And uh, I'm thinking especially of those portions that we're dealing with in the early part of the epistle of Paul to the Romans. We've been dealing with the first verse, and we'll read from the first to the fourth verses together. We're talking essentially of the calling of Paul the Apostle, that he was called an apostle. He was not called to be one. He was called because God, in the ages past, saw Paul and called Paul to be an apostle. God, in the ages past, saw Martin Gian and called me to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I only learned it in time. But God knew it from the very foundations of the world. And because he knows all things, he knows from the foundations of the world all those names that will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And so, in Paul's case, he was a called apostle. If every preacher in pulpits today was a called apostle, the world would be turned upside down overnight. Because the callings of God are without repentance. He never changes his mind. And so, to be called by God, and to know that the calling was there with all the vicissitudes of life, going down through life, having no idea from your birth. We could go into prenatal grace here because there is so much to be said, but the subject is, is a vast subject. But all we can say is this, that God knew every single thing, every single sin that Paul would commit that Peter would commit, that Abraham would commit, that Moses would commit, that David would commit, that Martin Gian would commit. And seeing it all, by his grace and his sovereignty, he saved each one. And from the foundations of the world, chose them to preach the gospel of Christ. As I said last week, would you have thought Paul, who killed Christians, had them slain, because he felt he was doing service to God, would you think that this man would become the great progenitor of the gospel of Jesus and write 14 of the 21 epistles in the New Testament? Half the Bible, half the New Testament, I should say, written by this man? Would you think that David would be ever called of God with his vile sin? Would you think that Abraham would, Moses would, Peter would? Of course not. So don't any of you ever give up hope, you know. You look at sometimes yourselves and you look inside and you get introspecting in there and you look at yourself and you say, how can God ever use you? How can God ever use anybody but by his grace? Anybody. You may look at your children sometimes and say, what can never be done with them? Listen, great things can be done and are being done with them. 
And some of the children that cause the greatest problems have become the greatest preachers. And some of the most profligate sinners that have walked the face of the earth have become the greatest evangelists. God in His grace hath chosen that by wisdom men should not know God, but by the foolishness of preaching He would save those that would believe. And God hath confounded the minds of the wise men by taking the foolish ones. Not the fools, but the foolish ones who at one time denied God, denied Christ and converting them and them using them. Now the first of the fourth verses of Romans 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle, not called to be one, called an apostle, or as the Greek has it, a called apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now the whole of Scripture. We've been dealing with the call of Paul, the separation to God and our separation to God, the gospel of God concerning his son Jesus Christ. And the New Testament, beloved, is all about this. The Old Testament is all about this. The whole book is about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, Prophetically, as it says in that second verse there, it was spoken of prophetically by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It's not something new. Paul says salvation is of the Jews. We're to understand that. Without the Jews, we would know nothing. How we should love them. It isn't a matter of their lovableness but we're to love them. If you love only those that love you, God says you have your reward. But if you would love those who might even despitefully use you, this would be commendable to God. So no matter what you feel, and oh, I, I dread sometimes when I hear a Christian who I believe is born again say something that is detrimental or even vicious about the Jews or vicious about the black man. God deliver us. All of these are men. And in the word of God, God deals only with man. He doesn't deal with the black man or the yellow man or the red man. He deals with all men. And he puts them all on the same level and he offers the same redemption to each one through Jesus Christ. But this word of God does tremendous things for our souls as we meditate in it. Last week I had said that we were separated unto God. We're separated from a terrible lot of things. God has called us out and separated us unto himself. If you're really redeemed in the blood of Jesus this morning, you've been separated unto God. 
And let me tell you, the world that Paul faced in his day is much like the world that we face in our day. No different. There were religious groups and cults in Paul's day just as there are today. When we think that the world we're living in right now, only 40% or the country we're living in, only 40% ever go to church. And in the Roman Catholics, only 57% of Roman Catholics now attend church. Can you imagine this? A church that boasted of an 85 to 90% attendance is down to 57 Nearly one in two Roman Catholics does no, no longer goes to church. Can you imagine what this means on our visitation program? That we are invited more into Roman Catholic homes than we ever were before? That here we have the greatest opportunity that God has ever given to us to proclaim in the unsearchable riches of Christ to all those and especially to the Roman Catholic ones who are outside the fold many times. And I'm not saying that all Roman Catholics are lost. I've never said that. What I'm saying is that if they're saved, they've missed the joy of the Lord now because they have that terrible burden upon their hearts of looking forward to purgatorial fires and the needs for cleansing after they die. While we know that we have been cleansed every whit right now by the blood of Christ and we died with him. And if we be dead with Christ, now are we also risen with him. And if we're risen with him, we are seated together already, as Ephesians says, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And God's not going to root one out of heaven who's already been seated there and plunge him into hell. Because as a son of God, he says, I've seated you already together with Christ in heavenly places. But the greatest opportunity man has ever had right now, this church has, is in our visitation program, in your witness to your neighbors. There are Catholic children who are going nowhere. There's a vast number of so-called Protestant children who are going nowhere. And we have a Sunday school that proclaims Christ as Lord and Savior. And if we're ever going to labor for Jesus, it better be now. Use the car you have to bring someone with you. Isn't it a shame that while we may have room for transportation and there may be families on the block that never get their children to a church, we don't make one little bit of effort. What has happened to our hearts? of the compassions of Jesus within our breasts, that we wouldn't long for some little child. We wouldn't long for some mother, for some father. We have a job, it seems to me, even longing for loved ones anymore, that they may find Jesus as their personal Savior. And this is the great call of God to us. He's called us and separated us unto himself. He says, I've separated you from the world so that you do a job for me in the world. He says, all the world is at enmity with me. 
This is an amazing thing that God has said. I've separated you for a divine purpose. I called you for a divine purpose. It wasn't to sit in a pew. It wasn't to enjoy the preaching of the gospel, as blessed as that may be. It isn't to sit in a rocking chair and rock yourself to sleep and say, isn't it great to be a Christian? But it's to know that the Holy Spirit dwells in your breast. You've got a job to do and you're doing it. Oh, that I might impart that gift to you of passion for the souls of men and boys and girls that they would find Jesus as their personal Savior. Sure, I know it gets wearying sometimes, of course. But has anything you've ever done, hasn't it been a wearying thing sometimes? Have you ever considered the price of success? And how many men have wearied themselves and even killed themselves clamoring for success? There's cost. And there's cost in going out to see if we can win others for Jesus Christ. God says, all that is in the world is enmity with me. You say, but God, I don't understand. How can you say this to me? I thought, God, that only that which was evil in the world was enmity with you. But you say, all that is in the world is enmity with me. What God is saying is what you consider to be good and what you consider to be evil, both are at enmity with God. Because number one, you know evil is at enmity with God. And God is saying, but I want you to know that even things that are good are at enmity with me if they detract you from serving me. There are lots of things that are not evil. But if in this nation we're in now, the average person spends from four to six hours in front of a television tube and yet has not borne a witness for Jesus to a neighbor or an office associate or someone close to them or a loved one or burden themselves with prayers and can spend four to six hours a day, which is the statistic they put out in front of a television set. And when I ask him, have you put 10 minutes in prayer? Have you put 10 minutes in the scripture? And the answer, 90% of the time is no. What has happened? Do you expect revival to come down from heaven to nothing? Finney Wells said, every revival that has ever happened came down through fervent prayer and the reading of the Word. And beloved, if we're to have revival in our hearts and we're to have that passion in our souls, we should have, you should be burdened unto tears for yourself. Number one, that God puts a passion in your heart and if Everyone here would get that into their breast this day. And when you go home, say, Lord, the word of God here says that 
Paul was a called apostle. He was separated unto God concerning the gospel of your blessed son. I want to be separated unto God. I can't be a Paul. I may not be a Billy Graham. I may not even be Pastor Gian, but I can be who I am. And you've given me time and you've given me talents and you've given me capacity to learn a few verses of Scripture so I can speak to someone somewhere and pray my heart out for the souls of men. You can talk about the Lord Jesus coming, but I want to tell you the church of Jesus Christ doesn't act like they think he's coming. Why, if I told you that Jesus Christ was going to return next Saturday night, you'd all be out all week long, running to your loved ones, running to your neighbors, doing all that you could to see if somehow you might bring them to Jesus because you only had one week's time left. Well, let me tell you, you could have less than one week if all the signs point to the Lord's coming. We're separated, separated, separated unto God. Paul faced the very conditions we faced in his day. He had all of the pagans. He had those who were religious Jews all around him. He had the Pharisees. He had the Stoics. He had the Essenes. Then he had the philosophers. He had the Platonists, the Platonic people. All different groups, all with their own idea about God. Just this world we're living in. He had the groups that believed that there was a common God for everybody and somehow that we'd all get in, although we all take different roads. He had this group. He had the group that believed that it was all ritual. He had the group that said there is a universal God. And no matter whether it's through this prophet or that prophet or any prophet, we all come. He had the same thing as we had. We have a church in Garden City that preaches this. We have churches, the universal church. The, we have the church of unity. We have Christian science, which is neither Christian nor scientific. We have all of these. They're all around us. But the good news of God only concerns what? Jesus Christ, his son. The good news doesn't concern any, anything else. And so, beloved, may that good news so penetrate your heart this morning that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And if you're here this morning and you're really saved, I have a prayer in my heart that God would put a passion in your heart for the souls of men, for that Jewish neighbor next door, for that Catholic neighbor right near you, for that Catholic fellow that works with you in your office, for that Jewish one, for whoever they may be, for that Protestant who doesn't know Jesus. And I want to tell you, the vast amount of Protestants do not know Jesus Christ. great body of Baptists don't know Jesus Christ because it's a personal relationship to him. I read in the newspaper this week 
that the Roman Catholics have been invited now by the World Council of Churches and the National Council to join with them. And the Catholics are looking very favorably upon this. There are 48 million Roman Catholics and 42 million in the National Council. Yet the handwriting is on the world for the great church, the world church, to come into existence before the Lord comes. The Lord has told us in his word that there will be a gathering together of all of these into one great world church who really don't believe that the blood of Christ cleanses from sin, who really don't believe that they're cleansed every whit. How they can join together, I cannot possibly see in my own mind having been a Roman Catholic. How, how, how the altar in the Catholic Church can join with the lowest form of Protestantism where there's no regard for Jesus is beyond me. And yet the devil is a mighty worker. So, beloved, you and I have little time. Are you really separated? separated, a separated man. May I say this? The word Pharisee, Paul calls himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He said, I was of the strongest sect of the Pharisees. It's an amazing thing that he uses this word for this simple reason, that the word Pharisee means a separated one. Now, here's Paul. He says, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was separated unto the law of Moses. He says, concerning the law, I was blameless. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I studied under the Jew Gamaliel in Tarsus. I had everything that a man could have. I was a separated one unto the law. But then Damascus Road came, and he couldn't use the word Pharisee anymore. But he wanted to say, I want to show you the comparison now, what's happened to me. For the law, he said, I found to be a ministry of condemnation and of death. All it did was tell me that I would have to die for my sin. And I knew that every year there were remembrances made of my sin, and my sin was just covered. It was never taken away. But he says, then the last one of the Old Testament prophets came, John the Baptist, and he pointed to Jesus, and he said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And on Damascus Road, this Jesus struck me down, blinded me, and spoke to me. And I believed on him with all my breast, my heart. I'd killed Christians, but I believed on him. I was separated unto God through Jesus Christ. And while as a Pharisee, it merely separated me unto the law of Moses, now the delineation had come, and I was separated now unto Jesus Christ and him alone. For the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And God spoke to me in these last days, he said, by his own son. 
Now, beloved, that's the kind of separation God is speaking of. Separated unto Jesus Christ. Unto God through Jesus Christ. Really separated in your breast. Separated from that even which is good. This is a day when we should separate ourselves from good things unto God. Because the good things can so ensnare us. We're a nation that has been deluged with good things. And our prosperities have consumed us. So that we have spent ourselves into bankruptcy. And that's one thing you can never do with Jesus. You can never spend yourself into bankruptcy. For the more you spend of your life for him, the more you're adding to the eternal weight of glory which will be your portion at the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, beloved, listen to me. Do you really have him in your breast this morning? Does he belong to you? Do you feel the insurging power of the Holy Spirit? Is there a war in your breast, the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh? Do you really feel that war and do you yearn to please your Savior, to please your Heavenly Father? Then, beloved, begin now, today. Begin, begin, begin. And begin to look at people as souls who are lost and hell-bound without Jesus and seek to win them to the only Savior and God's only Son, Jesus Christ. You're not too old, and you're not too young. The young thrill me. I wish I had some of their energies. I was over in Green Acres yesterday, and I closed with this, and... I was thrilled to see some of our young people from this church testifying for Jesus Christ in the Green Acre Shopping Center. I wonder how many parents would have the courage. I remember Paul saying, we are fools for Christ's sake. Remember? We are fools for Christ's sake. Have you the courage to bear your testimony high for the Lord Jesus? Is that neighbor next door lost and outside of Christ? When was the last time you prayed or you spoke to them? Is your child really in Christ? Is your loved one, your mother, your father, your uncle, I don't care who they are, are they in Jesus? We're separated unto God to do a job for God. And the time is short and we'd better get busy before the Lord himself comes and takes us to himself. And it's just too late. I can't think of any worse words than that. Too late, too late. You remember that verse that says, the summer is ended and we are not yet saved. The night is approaching, Jesus says, when no man shall be able to work, so work the works of him that sent you while it is day. Oh, God grant that he'll give you this passion within your breast. 
listen, my beloved people, my brothers, my sisters, are you indwelt by the Holy Spirit? I want to tell you, the most energizing power of life is the Holy Spirit. I know it. My physical heart may have been affected, but my spirit has not been affected. Why? Because it is the Holy Spirit. And the greatest power in life is the Holy Spirit. May he take hold of each one in this place, up on the balcony and down here, and give you a fire for Jesus that you can't put out. For he says, I will make my servants as flames of fire. And that's the power of the Spirit of God. May we see the evidence of it in our lives and in our church. Let us pray. Father, we thank Thee for Thy precious Word. Bless it to our hearts this morning. Lord, to be separated unto Thee. We pray and ask Thee, Father, that each one of us here this morning will yearn for that separation. That You'll separate us from the world. You've said, all that is in the world is enmity with me. The evil you know is at enmity with me. But your problem is you use all the good things and you put me out. You're so enamored of all the things you've been given and the possessions you have and the things you can do that you don't have one little bit of room for me. And if your body was my temple as it should be, I'd occupy all the rooms. But if I were to come today, you'd probably have me in some little closet enclosure where you place Jesus just so you get to heaven. Lord, deliver us from this kind of faith. Take possession of that which belongs to you. You said you're not your own. You've been bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Wherefore, serve God in your bodies. Oh God, Holy Spirit, come in power upon this people. I don't know them by heart. You know them by heart. Lord, if they're cold, touch them. If they've been lukewarm, stir them up. Because we remember that what you tell us in Revelation is you're looking for those that are hot for the things of Jesus Christ. God put heat in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that the warmth of the love of Christ might be more evidenced in us than the mere fact that we're living in a world and shopping and eating and sleeping and enjoying ourselves and putting Christ in some little enclosure as a charm to get us into the kingdom of heaven. Forgive us, Father. And as we come to the table of this remembrance, open our hearts to Jesus this morning. Lord, we're going to remember your death till you come again. Oh, Christ, open our hearts. Help us to say this is his table of love for me. How much love do I show for him ever? And when was the last time I said, Jesus, I love you and I want to live for you. And I'd die for you, Jesus, if you call for me to die for you. 
Lord, do this for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.